In 2017, Hurricane Harvey stalled over southeast Texas for days, dumping unimaginable amounts of rain. Much of Metro Houston observed more than 40 inches of rain, while the 61 inches that fell in Nederland, Texas, set the record for the wettest storm in U.S. history. As you can imagine, Harvey's impacts were astronomical. At the height of the storm, floodwaters covered more than one-third of Houston, the nation's fourth biggest city, which houses more than 7 million people in the metropolitan statistical area and sprawls out more than 640 square miles. As the floodwaters receded, we learned that the material losses from Harvey totaled $125 billion, making it the second costliest hurricane in U.S. history, behind only Hurricane Katrina in 2005. More than 200,000 homes were damaged or destroyed, according to a fact sheet posted by Lamar University. With worldwide attention focused on water rescues and the flood damage to homes, many of us may have missed another important angle of Hurricane Harvey. According to auto data, auto data firm BlackBook, approximately 1 million vehicles were damaged beyond repair in the Gulf region, including 300,000 to 500,000 vehicles owned by individuals. Rahel Abraham was one of Harvey's flood victims. The never-ending rain caused the bayou behind her community to swell, flooding the first floor of the condominiums with three feet of muddy water. Like all of her neighbors, the flood destroyed Rahel's vehicle as well. Following Harvey, Rahel determined to innovate a product that would make her community more resilient from future floods by protecting their vehicles from inundations. That product, called ClimaGuard, is a large waterproof bag that wraps around a vehicle or any large and valuable item to seal it off from rising floodwaters. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we walk with Rahel through the trauma of Hurricane Harvey and into the world of an innovator who designed a product to help people become more resilient from flooding. If you're new to the podcast, GeoTrek explores the world covering stories about extreme weather and natural disasters that are not covered by the mainstream media. We dig deep to learn about the physical processes that generate extreme events, their impacts on society, and what we can do to get out ahead of these disasters to mitigate losses and make ourselves, our families, and our communities more resilient to anything that Mother Nature can throw at us. The cost of this podcast is a promise that you will share it with another person. Flooding threatens millions of Americans every year, and someone you know could benefit from a product like ClimaGuard. Well, without further introduction, let's dive into GeoTrek podcast n- number 73, From Flood Victim to Innovator, Rahel Abraham and ClimaGuard. I'm here in Houston with Rahel Abraham. Rahel, thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Rahel, I'm excited to hear about ClimaGuard, but let's start by talking about you. I mean, give me the background. Where did you grow up? How did you end up here in Houston? Okay, it's like a longer story than a short one, but I, I did come here after college. Uh, growing up wise, I was born in Dallas, um, but I traveled a lot growing up just because of my dad's job in the oil and gas market. Um, and so I went to college and University of Texas in Austin, studied chemical engineering. And then when I graduated, I wanted to like root myself in a city more permanently and Houston was like the best choice for me. So I've been here since. So like, when did you move to Houston? I moved here 2009. Okay, so you've been here for some time. Um, I know a lot of what you do now is innovation and a lot of this creativity and a lot of it related to a very creative product that helps people when they flood. So let's take it to Hurricane Harvey, this devastating, terrible catastrophe in the history of Houston. It just rained and rained and didn't stop, impacted millions of people. Were you here when Harvey hit and what was that like for you? 
Oh, yes, definitely was here. Um, it was one of the more impactful moments of my life. I've been, like you said, living in Houston for a while. There's been a several near misses, but when I was living in um, this condominium at the time near Bayou um, in 2017, there was a... Um, floodwaters that were approaching our building and it was surrounding our building so we couldn't leave. And so a lot of the tenants there, we ended up moving upstairs, but all of our cars were completely flooded. Um, the first floor units were flooded up to about three feet of water um, for a couple days. And so we were, you know, we banded together as a, as a family, um, but it was definitely uh, humbling to know how helpless you could be in moments like that. Yeah, I mean, how did you even make it through there? And then what were the steps like after the floodwater receded? I know for a lot of people, it was just so overwhelming. Um, so I would just say the first steps was just clean up and food. Um, you know, when it comes to work, I mean, I, I had a neighbor who lost a lot of her um, artwork where she was a full-time artist. Um, so that was really um, hard for her. Fortunately for me, I'm, as an engineer, I was able to take time off. But um, at the time, I just was just thinking more so, let's, let's start fixing our homes up so that we can get back to normal as soon as possible. Um, and we just all shared resources and came together, like I said, as community, which was very beautiful. Uh, but it was a lot longer of a time frame of rebuilding than it was the actual event. And that's what really affected me. Yeah, the long-term recovery, right? It's like the event can happen in a day or two, but then it can be months to years to recover, right? Exactly. It, uh, the time it takes to fight with insurance, the time it takes to allocate resources because everyone's looking for the same type of materials to rebuild with. Um, and then just being able to make up its loss of time from work. It, it, was a, it was a lot. It was a lot, especially, you know, for those who, like myself, who live by, by myself, uh, you know, all of that kind of is put on me. Um, but then also with all my neighbors, you know, a lot of elderly people I lived with, people who were, um, had young kids. And, and so it's, you know, we all come from different situations and, um, it's just life in itself is, is a challenge. And when you add, um, loss from a hurricane event, it's just adds a lot more to it. So, yeah. Yeah, and Rahel, I mean, the, the magnitude of Hurricane Harvey really, uh, from what I've heard, as far as the geographic extent and just the amount of rainfall, it comes in as the number one flood as far as rainfall floods ever in, in U.S. history. People around the world were watching this as, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were flooded out, if not more than a million, and just uh, floodwater going into people's living spaces. But what a lot of people maybe never realized or didn't notice were not only were living spaces flooded, but a lot of vehicles were flooded, right, uh, all over the metro area and even all over Southeast Texas. Oh, and exactly. Uh, as we discussed before, it was close to half a million cars. And Houston's a very car-dependent city. We don't have public transportations set up the way, you know, these smaller, closer proximity cities like New York um, have. And so we depend, our livelihood is definitely dependent on being able to get to where we need to go um, food-wise, also, you know, for work. And so not having a car, I mean, like I said, my car was completely totaled. Not having a car, um, it, it was a, a burden financially as well as, um, you know, just trying to find ways to get around um, was also something that d was dependent upon people that you know to kind of help you out. Um, I will also that say that with flooding, I learned that about a quarter of areas that flood are not even designated flood zones. And so... Um, 40 million Americans live in a flood zone, but 
you know, there's a good chance that you could be an, a, a, put in a situation where you're flooded as well, thinking that you're safe. So, you know, preparation is, is something that you can't underrate. And um, now more than ever, I'm more mindful of it. That's a good point. You don't have to be in a flood zone to get flooded, right? And a lot of people here were not in a flood zone. They did not have flood insurance, but they had a couple of feet of water in their house during Harvey. Exactly. And so you start realizing with, you know, population development, um, urban design, uh, it's, it's very hard for the city to keep track of areas that are going to be prone to flooding. And so um, just knowing that you're in a city that has that type of um, risk, I, I would say everyone, unless you, you live in, you know, a high rise of some sort, everyone needs to be mindful of, you know, things that could be lost um, in a flooding scenario, especially if you to evacuate, um, coming back home to nothing is is, is a real scenario. Yeah, very interesting. You know, I was talking to some friends too who had flood, um, cars flooded out and they said, wow, it's, it's devastating to see your cars lost and then often you have to pay a deductible with insurance. But a lot of them were saying with a, a flood, the magnitude of Harvey, so many hundreds of thousands of cars were flooded. Now when you go to get a replacement car, unless you're buying brand new and it's shipped in, the car you're buying, there's a good chance that may have been a flood damaged car and you didn't realize it, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's something that I thought about as well. Um, I didn't get a car right away just for that reason. There's a lot of cars that could be auctioned off, you know, as insurance are trying to recover their losses. They, you know, having coverage and reimbursement from FEMA for homes is very different for the losses of cars. And so these payouts do cost insurance and they are trying to recover it. So there's a lot of secondhand sellers um, selling cars that could have a high chance of having flood damage. You don't find out till later. Um, my boyfriend at the time, he got a flooded car and then while he was driving, his car started smoking and died on the highway and he was stranded. And so we had to pay $500 tow truck to, to get him um, just because so of that. His replacement car was, you found out later, was a flood was a flooded yes. out car that then died and left him stranded on the freeway. Yes, between Houston and Austin picking up his cousin. Um, and so again, that's just another one of those uh, challenges that we face post an event, right? You, you want to find a car, you, you want to not have to pay premium because cars are not cheap. And yet you're put, once again, you know, taking on a risk that the car could have a lot more damage than you are aware of. So, um, yeah, that's something I, I also was mindful of as well. Yeah, for sure. And we see that sometimes with natural disasters, what starts as an event, then it snowballs, right? All of a sudden there's financial hardship. Maybe in this case, you get a replacement car that also has damage and all of a sudden it's just one thing after another and the recovery can take a long time. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, and, and so that's the, that's the part that I wanted to avoid. I, I know that's kind of, kind of goes into, you know, the, the idea of this company is that we need to have an option. The idea of just saying, okay, comprehensive insurance, cause you know, with liability, that's not going to be covered, but comprehensive insurance, which is an extra cost, you, you will be covered for, um, loss of a vehicle based on the value that the insurance says your vehicle is despite, you know, what you paid for it. And, uh, but yet you have to find a vehicle that you feel is reliable and that journey could take uh, months, um, if not longer. And so for me, I was like, how do I avoid this from happening again? Because I, I personally do not want to have to repeat the scenario again. Rahel, let's talk about Climate Guard. What is it? And then where did this idea come? Like who came up with the idea? Kind of walk us through, especially post Harvey. Like how did this develop? What is it? And and kind of take us through those those early moments of this product. Um, so simply it was born out of Harvey because again, the loss of the my car as well as 
um, as I mentioned, my uh, neighbor losing all of her canvas work, she couldn't save it at time, and that's her um, that's her means of income. And um, just also, I had a lot of retirees around me, so they have a lot of sentimental belongs that they lost, and. I just didn't want this helpless. I just want, you know, as an engineer, you want to find a solution. I didn't want us to feel so helpless the next time because there's more than likely we're not going to just relocate. Most people do not relocate from their homes. You're rooted into your community. You're rooted, you know, connected to your job. It's not as simple as like, let's just move to another city or something like that, right? So um, I, my friend and I at the time we were researching, we're like, is there is there like a, a large bag that can just like, you know, at least we could cover things and then as we evacuate or, you know, find higher ground, we can come back to not a total loss. And un- crazy enough, there wasn't anything that we could find. I mean, you could find maybe sandbags to kind of prevent, slow down the process of water entering your home, but you, there wasn't anything that we could find. And, and as an engineer, I knew that there was a way for me to design a, a model of, of, of like a simple tool that could be deployed in an emergency scenario, um, such as surrounding floodwaters, um, to where you could at least protect some of the more you know essential things that you can't run away with, um, and such as your car, um, and then you know hopefully come back to a better position than be a total loss. That's really interesting. So it sounds like the focus was on saving a car, but also artwork or valuables or those family photos or whatever can be protected inside some waterproof um, casing. Exactly. Um, and and so, um, as I said before, you know, the scenario was I was by myself. And if I'm by myself, I, I, you know, you'd want to make a design that is going to be able to uh, set up as a single person. And so, you know, those kind of things that I thought about, um, compressibility, expansion, um, also resiliency of the material. Um, as I said before, I'm a chemical engineer. So it, you know, that gave me an advantage of understanding like uh, material science. Um, and so uh, that was kind of the beginning stages of, of trying to find something that was resilient, uh, waterproof, lightweight, reusable, and designed concept wise could be set up by a single person in a short period of time. That was pretty much the, 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 the guidelines I gave myself. And then the design of Climate Guard came about from that. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, it's really interesting. You have this product that you know it's going to work because in your own block during Hurricane Harvey, this would have transformed people's lives if they had this, right? So, and then times that times a million here in the metro area. So, you know, this product is, there's nothing like it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to help people. And then with your background in chemical engineering and understanding of material science, you know that it can be done. Like, how did you start walking down that path though to like develop this? Like, who did you talk to about making the design, about getting the materials, about uh, producing and manufacturing this? Like, how did you walk down that path? So that path was definitely a path that was, um, I would say it was a faith, faith walk in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, being in the industry, I don't really know many people in the business sector, but I understand the power of LinkedIn and networking. I mean, we're in a major city. So I, I just simply, you know, started reaching out to those I knew who, who understood um, import and export business um, also reached out to companies that were in the outdoor goods space. Uh, I figure I figured you know utilizing materials that were used for tents or you know different types of um, outdoor use cases could be repurposed. So that's why I did, I did a lot of my sourcing of the material, and then I also knew of these um, third party. Uh, firms that do testing. I mean, we use testing all the time when it came to, um, 
you know, the oil and gas space. So, you know, same thing with clothing. These, these, these companies are able to do a lot of testing with performance um, metrics of materials. So I was able to find out like the aging process, um, you know, how many times could, uh, could one material be used before it starts breaking down? Um, it, could it be frozen and still be, you know, pliable after? So, you know, temperature differences because it's going to be outdoor goods. So if it's stored in your garage or, you know, outside in the wintertime, would it still be just as um, strong And by the time it reached the summer, you know, during the hurricane season? These different types of uh, properties I had to first test out um, prior to you creating a prototype. Um, now, when it came to prototyping, I like, I like I said, I worked backwards. I found out who, who makes the largest tents out here. And then I, I started sourcing those manufacturers and, and reached out to them and said, would you be open to a pilot you know, of trying this, this product idea that I had? I, I caught... I call it the Sarah Blakely method because Sarah Blakely did the same thing with Spanx, and she's, um, you know, she went up to those who were manufacturing, you know, Macy's uh, hosieries and stuff, and she said, "I have a better idea." So I said, "You know, why not be audacious and do that?" And some, some, a lot of, I've had about eight different companies that were like, "Yeah, well, let's try it," and they, we did prototypes, and I tested it with that third party firm. And um, we, after about a year or so, I was able to narrow it down to a company that I'm still working with today. I feel like, you know, when you go out and, and you're hiking in the woods and you're going to hack through a new path and it's like challenging and you're, you're trying to hack through, it's, it's, there's no one's done this path, right? That's kind of what you were doing. Was that exhilarating? Was it fun? Were there days that it was like super discouraging? Oh my gosh. Yes. All of that. It was the highs and the lows. It definitely built grit within me. Um, you know, there's, there's people who could say, like, you don't even know this is going to be successful. Why are you doing it? And I just pulled in from the idea that there's no other option out here. Um, and also, I am the person who has the mind to be able to create a product like this. So I, to me, I feel like for my community, I would want to have an option out there for them. Whether or not this company becomes super successful, I want them to have an option out there so that they don't have a complete, you know, uh, they don't feel that it's all or nothing scenario when it comes to the next inevitable natural disaster. Um, And so that really kept me going, um, that vision. But at the same time, yeah, there was a lot of moments where I'm just like, there there was a time where none of the prototypes worked. Like literally they all failed for some reason. And I had to start from scratch. But Again, you know, whereas those doors close and other doors open as long as you just keep pushing. And so it definitely was, you know, a lot of life lessons along the way. Um, but it, it just turned out to be a success story because I came back with this product in Houston and Houston lifted me up and supported me. Um, and I hear so many stories from customers that reassure, you know, that this is going to make an impact and, and, and make them feel that reassurance and um, that, that they have some way to protect themselves next season. Till this day, um, I even have international people reach out and, and order this product. So I, it just feels good that this vision is, is something that is benefiting other people. Um, and that it makes it all worth it for me. Rahel, we're talking about the uh, the process to be an entrepreneur and develop these things. People see a new product and they're like, oh, wow, that came out of nowhere. Um, you were saying this can be a long process to develop something like this. Uh, that's something that I, I heard one time someone say, you know, uh, an overnight success story could have had seven years behind the scenes that no one knows about. And that's very true. Um, even with my product, it yes, Hurricane Harvey hit us in 2017, um, but 
and I, and I was emotionally, you know, compelled at that time. However, I didn't actively like pursue this idea. Uh, it was not until Irma and Maria, it was just, you know, multiple different events that were happening around the country that was, you know, eventually told me to get up out this chair and start, you know, doing some development work. And even then, like I mentioned before, you know, it took a year of development. It wasn't as easy as saying, I have this idea, let's go make it. Uh, no, you, you have to make sure the design is going to be something that people can reuse use for years to come because you never know when the next event is. So, I mean, we started developing or I started developing in 2019, but I didn't launch it until 2020 and that was during the pandemic. So that was another challenge on top of it. So, you know, um, I, I definitely, you know, my advice to a lot of people who have these business visions that they, they see so much purpose behind it, you know, it's to, to assume that it's going to be an overnight success is, is something for Hollywood. It's not realistic and you just got to be patient to the process and the process in itself is rewarding. Uh, entrepreneurs, investors, innovators, a lot of times they may be financially driven. You used this word a few minutes ago. You said you're doing this for your community, right? That's a different drive at the end of the day because it can be a long time until those paychecks come in, right? How is that different? The fact that you had this vision that your community needs this and so do a lot of other communities out there. Uh, for sure. Uh, building a business is not easy. And so if it was m- money first, I would have thought there's easier way to make money. I, I didn't have to go through so many years of investment and having to, you know, really gamble on this uh, design, this concept, just so that it can benefit me financially. It, it had to have a lot more to it in order for me to keep on pushing forward. Um, I mean, we, we were definitely not making profit the first couple of years just because we were having to figure out the marketing strategy and knowing how, you know, to, to test out and, 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 and give away different products to different people. Um, and so uh, not until we were able to really refine the business model, have we been in a position where we are now where we're able to reinvest and, and, and um, be a, a more sustainable business. But it's definitely a journey where if you're thinking about, you know, money first, um, it's easier to get a nine to five where you can just make sure you get that check every two weeks. But when you're building a business that you have to have some other motives, um, some passion, like, like for me helping my community uh, in order for you to carry through those dry years. <laughs> yeah. I love that perspective because it's a long road and you're not going to make it through that if you're just looking at dollar signs, right? No, you're not. You're not going to make it. Um, and I don't know who ha- want anyone who has, honestly. They, they, you need to have a bigger fo- focus, a bigger vision in order for you to be able to have something that's going to last a long time. Rahel, can you explain to us the ClimaGuard product? I mean, what does the product look like? What are different options out there? I mean, I have an idea, but this concept of like protecting your car from future floods, what does the product look like? So it looks like a, um, a large sack. It's a, um, our, our signature color is blue, but uh, it's made of a polyethylene material. Um, it's a single uh, unit where the top flap opens up and you can drive on top of it. Um, once you spread it out, you can drive the, your vehicle on top of it. And then as you put the top flap back over the vehicle, you just zip it around. Um, so it's just one opening. And with that complete seal on the bottom um, half, or at least three quarters of, the, of, the, of this bag, it creates this barrier. Um, so when water starts surrounding your vehicle or your belongings, uh, you start having a buoyancy effect. So instead of typically what happens is like when your car starts um, having water surrounding it, water will start seeping inside the car, in which case it floods, right? But this is creating this water barrier seal where the pressure of the um, 
or to the forces that counter. It's, it's kind of complicated because, you know, I know people are like, why does this work? Just think of it as a boat, okay? So it's completely sealed in the bottom to where the weight of the car is now um, acting against the, 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 the water forces below it. And so it starts rising with the water, hence why we have anchoring um, also attachments to it. So in case it, you know, it does drift. So with rising uh, flood water, typically it's still rising unless you're really close to the coast. And so it'll just rise up with the water as it's flooding the area and then it'll start receding back down. And so the concept was just to kind of create that barrier to where your car would be able to float with the water um, or your belongings are going to have that, that, that just, you know, last line of defense of sealing uh, against uh, floodwaters. And so that's what the concept is. And then also it's, like I said, it, it, you can fold it back up and it, and it goes in a duffel bag. So it's very portable. You can just store it in your um, your your garage or your trunk of your car. Um, and it weighs about, I'll say about 20 pounds or so. Um, so it's, it's like I said, it's a lot of material, but it, it's, it's definitely portable. So interesting. This is something that people could take that duffel bag, put it in their trunk, and then you know maybe they're away from home, they're at work, maybe their workspace or where they're visiting a friend is flood prone. This is something they could get out at any time and deploy. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we've had people tell us about how they were stranded in Dallas and their stuff was, you know, and, and, and typically with uh, the way these um, warning systems are set up, we we know when there's a possibility of a, of, of a hurricane or. Um, uh, a heavy rain coming our way. So if there's a way for us to protect our belongings before we go on a trip that could potentially keep us at, um, away from our home, or if you have to evacuate, um, having something like this uh, with you uh, to where you can protect what you have in, in real time, um, it's just going to give you know a lot more peace of mind people who are traveling during hurricane season, which is pretty much six months of the year. <laughs> Rahel, what are some of the success stories that stand out to you? I mean, have you heard from people that use a product that said, oh my gosh, you guys saved my car or a friend's car, anything like this that you've heard back from people? So um, one of my favorite customers and he's, uh, he actually met him in person because he was just so engaging. Um, He lives in the area that uh, typically whenever there's flooding, they, um, they release that, 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 I guess, the retention in that in that area. So his home has been flooded three times, um, and he's retired. He's a retired accountant. Him and his wife, they're super lovely, um, and they have tile all, all over the f- first floor. So they worked on trying to make their home more resilient, but they're still retired. They're older, and they have their cars paid off. Um, so he's always sending me messages whenever he sits the his um, the climate guard up around his his cars. Um, he has a Cadillac and a Corvette and, um, he is, you know, just, just once again, just reminding me of how he, this reassurance that he has, he said, this is, this is the last thing that I needed. Um, and it's helped him, you know, cause we've had several events since then. And so just, you know, ha- ha- building those relationships where they're, they're continuous, it's been, it's been really rewarding. Um, someone else told me about a, uh, antique, uh, piano that they had that was a passed down heirloom and so that was also something that I felt was you know it doesn't have to necessarily be you know your, your car but it could also be your some belongings that you value but you can't necessarily take with you so those those, those two stand out to me so far Rahel, what I love about this product, you're helping people be proactive, not sit around, wait for the next flood to come. There's some things they can do to get out ahead of this. You were talking about kind of having a mindset of prevention. How does that tie into your perspective on disasters and and how ClimaGuard fits into that? Well, I read a statistic that was done um, by the government, and that was that for every dollar spent in prevention, $11 saved in loss. And that really resonated with me because, you know, 
with a product like ClimaGuard, you're spending approximately $400 to protect your car and, and, your, and, your, and your belongings. And uh, replacing a car would cost way more than that. Even if with insurance, um, you know, you're, you're spending, you have to spend the difference in order to get a new car, um, in order to replace the one that you lost, despite the value of, of whatever you bought it at. And so, um, you know, having ways to protect your belongings in areas when you live in a flood prone or, or even just disaster prone city is, is so important in order to keep yourself financially um, protected in these types of scenarios. Yeah, you're helping people get out ahead of this and to say, wait, there are some things I can do to protect myself. Uh, what about for that person that says, hey, this is an interesting idea, but I have car insurance, I have comprehensive, they're going to cover it if my car floods. And I've, and I've been, that, been that person. Um, I had comprehensive. And like I said, you know, I bought my car brand new and that was, you know, a, a $30,000 car, but the insurance gave me about $8,000 for it just based on the value of, of what my car is at. And now, you know, as you've seen post pandemic, especially like the lots are not, the inventory is, is very uh, limited. And so, you know, pre-sale cars and new cars are at a position where there's not much room for negotiation. So if, if I was in that same scenario again and I got that $8,000 check, I don't know what type of car I'd be getting um, in order to feel secure going forward. Um, and that's a very realistic scenario for many of us. Um, as I said, you know, 40 million Americans live in a flood-prone area, but 25% of areas still potentially flood and that are not designated as flood prone. Um, and you know, you can't prevent natural disasters from happening. You can only prepare for them. And so that's just something that I would, you know, keep in mind and message out just so that you're not in the same position I was in. Yeah. Rahel, you're making a good point. If your car gets flooded, the insurance may say, Hey, um, here's $8,000, but often you still have to pay a deductible anyway, which may be even more than ClimaGuard would have cost to start with. But then you're saying with that $8,000 you get, you go to the car lot with low inventories. Used cars are sometimes very comparable to a new car. So you may not be able to get anything close to replacing what you had for that $8,000. And on top of it, let's keep it real. Insurance want their money back. So, you know, post these types of events, insurance rates go up as well. So, you know, there's just a lot of other financial implications that are just beyond loss that we inherit post natural disasters. And so that's something that, again, you know, we, the, the best method going forward is mitigation. You know, for every dollar spent, $11 returned um, and, and prevention of loss, that to me is a no-brainer. Yeah, for sure. I know that that statistic really stands out. You can make the argument if things are tight, you can't afford not to mitigate and be proactive, right? Exactly. And, and, and again, you know, um, I also mentioned to you before as well, if you have flood insurance and you are... Um, you've received a citywide warning of a flood coming in your area, um, you are able to get reimbursed up to $1,000 with your flood policy just because the government also understands prevention is is way more than recovery um, when it comes to uh, savings. And so, you know, being able to go to your local Home Depot or Lowe's to get tarps or sandbags, um, you know, plywood, all of those things at that time frame um, would be able to be reimbursed up to $1,000. And these things people don't think about because they pay insurance, but they don't realize there's a lot of policies out there that would help prevent prevention because it saves not just the insurance money, but the government money. And so, you know, um, why, why not take advantage of those opportunities? 
Yeah, that's a good perspective. I mean, obviously we want to be prepared going into flood season, but like you're saying, if there's a flood warning for your area, you can get money back on the items that you get to help protect you. Rahel, how can people find ClimaGuard? How can they find you? How can they check you out online or, or just interact with you and learn more about you and the product? So, you know, we're Houston-based. Um, I have a fulfillment center here, but you can find us online. We um, are we include free shipping for all our uh, orders, and our website is uh, climaguard.co. So C-L-I-M-A-G-U-A-R-D dot C-O, climaguard.co. And you can order, you know, and we'll pretty much deliver within a couple of days just because uh, we understand that the time sensitivity is a big factor in our business. Rahel, what's one last take-home message you would give to people as they're listening to this podcast, as they're thinking about flood resiliency and just the whole concept of everything we talked about today? What's one last take-home message you'd like to share with people? Um, one last take-home message I would like to share is that, you know, we cannot prevent Mother Nature. We can only prepare for her. So let's, you know, have that in mind when it comes to sharing and living in these communities where um, we are going to only be able to be there for each other at moments that are going to be inevitable, such as a natural disaster. And so um, that's just my take. And prevention is really the only way to do that, to doing that. Well, this has been so inspirational for me. You know, you're a flood victim and then you not only recovered yourself, but you came up with a concept of something you could innovate to protect your community in the future. And I know this is going to protect so many communities. So for me, very inspirational. I really admire what you're doing and just appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, these types of platforms are exactly what is going to help bring the awareness of this type of option for your uh, viewers or your listeners. And so uh, I really appreciate you having us on here and being able to share my story. Thanks for how best wishes this flood and hurricane season. I'm hoping for a quiet one, but I know if it's not, you've done some things to help protect yourself and your community moving forward. Yes. And we also have a blog. So please sign up for our newsletter and that way you'll find other types of uh, advice and and, uh, tips on how to be more resilient. Thanks for how for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rahel, for coming on the podcast. Well, I'm at a bit of a loss for words here. I don't really know what else to say. I mean, I don't know if we've ever had a more inspirational episode on the GeoTrek podcast. Here we have a flood victim who not only had to recover from one of the world's highest impact floods, but then innovated a product to help her community weather future storms. It's just amazing. Very inspirational. As Rahel mentioned, you can check out ClimaGuard online at climaguard.com. Co. That's C-L-I-M-A-G-U-A-R-D dot C-O. They have some great pics of the product and info behind the technology they use to build ClimaGuard. I think there's also one other big take-home message for me on this podcast. Rahel saw a high-impact problem, envisioned a solution, and then walked down the long and difficult process to innovate a product to help us mitigate flood losses. So her example causes us to pause and ask, what other problems do we see related to extreme weather and natural disasters that could be mitigated with the creation of new products, right? So like I live in Galveston, Texas, not that far from Houston where Rahel lives. And I've been talking about floating houses for a long time and people think I'm nuts, but Rahel's inspiration and and example here kind of gets me thinking, maybe, maybe we can have these crazy conversations about new products that don't exist, right? I mean, we have to do something, right? 
So anyway, I, I felt very encouraged and inspired by the conversation with Rahel. You know, reflection on these questions about innovating new products require really both vision and courage. So first of all, we have to envision a new product that could mitigate losses and then walk down the long road of making it happen. So Rahel pointed out that she did not walk down this road alone, though, but she reached out to many different companies that work in everything from material science to the creation of outdoor outdoor recreation products. So uh, that encouraged me. When we walk down these roads, we want to make a difference in the world around us. It can seem intimidating, I'm sure, but it sounds like she had a lot of support and encouragement, not only from other professionals and other companies, but it sounded like the city of Houston as well came alongside and said, yes, we need this. Thank you for doing this. So Rahel, congratulations on amazing product that you've innovated. Like I said, at the close of our conversation, I'm hoping this is a low impact hurricane and flood season along the Gulf Coast. But if it's not, you've created something to help us reduce the impact of flood losses on our vehicles and other valuable items. Keep in mind, ClimaGuard in general is about $400. Your deductible for a flooded out car in many cases is going to be $500 or more. So this is actually cheaper than a deductible. And like we said in the conversation too, imagine you get that $8,000 insurance payout. What kind of car are you going to be able to get for that? Often you're going to be out a lot of money to replace just what you had. ClimaGuard can help you protect your vehicle to not even have a drop of water inside. Pretty cool stuff. Hey, special thanks to our listeners for making the GeoTrek podcast the number one podcast in the category of natural disasters, according to Feedspot. We love bringing you new stories every episode and introducing you to innovators like Rahel. I'm also very grateful for our marketing team and for all their hard work to edit and promote this content. They're Seneth Baker, Jeremiah Long, Ashley Anderson, Amy Wilkins, Christopher Cook, and Courtney Booker. I'm Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. Keep exploring the world, stay hydrated during this hot summer weather, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. <laughs>